0: I asked him a question, I said, hey, how many of you guys have your dad in your home? And like Mm -hmm. out of all the kids, like two kids raised their hand out of all of them.
1: We didn't need money to show up in the neighborhoods. We didn't need money to walk in there and, and gain their trust. We needed to spend ourselves by taking up our time and going into the neighborhood. And all that mattered to them was that we came back. And we have just like, they have, anybody has the opportunity they to give know. people a voice again. Oh,
0: I, am no, you're you're great. Come on. I don't think we necessarily came into it with a plan.
1: No plan.
0: No plan at all. It was, it was literally like, <laughs> hey, let's just keep showing up and getting to know these kids. And at first, how do you create a plan for people that you don't know? It was as simple, and I know it sounds crazy, it's as simple as just showing up.
1: want see what would happen if I kept showing up on your doorstep. Got no silver or gold, so I listen instead. Now, how does that sound to you? Just a for a little bit of time. The simplest thing that really hit my heart was stop for the one. Just make it about that one. People don't realize the power in asking people what their name is. We all have a story to tell and most people don't get to tell it unless we ask.
0: I tell people a lot of times, like your purpose comes from your pain, and that was my case. Anybody can do what we're doing. You know, somebody out there listening might be called to something that's more relatable to their particular pain.
1: But really, I think all it takes is, is saying, what need can I meet today? What need can I meet tomorrow? And then these dreams come and God grows it and things develop yeah. and people start supporting you and they start coming along and spending their selves to help you, but in the beginning- just starts small. It starts yeah. small.
2: From Luke chapter 7 as we begin it'll be on the screen and you can follow along if you have your Bible with you one Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him and Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume then she knelt behind him at his feet weeping Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of a woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. The first application that we have, we're already just in the intro but is is to pray and I believe in this time God has something to share with us and we need to say yes yeah, say it so let's pray father we thank you that we just had a, a wonderful time of prayer a wonderful time that we could be praying for others uh, different requests and we thank you that we also get to celebrate uh, all that you're doing and in this time I just pray that you would make this clear that you would speak to us from your word and God that your Holy Spirit would Open up our hearts, open up our minds, and, and you would loose my tongue to speak tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good to be here. We're in a series called 12 Neighbors, and this is pretty exciting. We haven't done something exactly like this before. Uh, if you missed last week, you can go back online and watch it. I would encourage you to do so. I thought Marcel did a fantastic job. I thought it was really awesome hearing the why behind the series. And he shared, I won't give too much away if you need to go back and hear it, but he simply asked a question. And he felt that God was answering a question. And and this is how the 12 Neighbors series came together. And so if you need to watch some of the other videos, you can go to 12neighbors.com and you can watch those. You can type in the American or the Canadian spelling. It'll get you there either way. So we launched last weekend, and I thought it was really great one of the things that we we did, we launched something called 12 Neighbors Nights. And uh, many of you were were here for that. So Sundays at 6 p.m. from last week until the week before Easter, like last week we had seven round tables. There were over 45 people and and all having a chance to discuss this material together. And I I thought it was awesome. I got to be there for that. Many of our small groups have started meeting and and watching uh, these videos and having time to discuss. Because I think these rows are great, but getting in a circle is greater, getting a chance to continue the dialogue. Something unusual about this entire series is that instead of doing what we call like a a weekend rewind, a Sunday rewind, or a sermon rewind, instead of that, what we looked at last week in the 12 Neighbors Nights and what we looked at with our small groups I'm preaching on today so you can't discuss the things that I'm talking about to you now, you're just discussing the content from last week. But it's going to be exciting each week that we're all kind of in the same uh, sphere of knowledge for this, and we've already had a chance to discuss. And so I'd encourage you to check those out. This week is on Spend Yourself. Marcel already kind of brought us up to speed on, on the idea of this because I think it was one thing that kind of kick-started the rest of the idea for the series. And so where it came from, is Isaiah 58. And we're gonna read just just two verses there to to get started in that. But this is is part of what was on Marcel's heart as he looked into this. It says, If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. When we think of the word spend, I think we often think money, right? That's an easy way in our culture to think spend. You think money. Sometimes time, but, you know, as we heard in the, in the video, uh, some people might throw money at a situation, but if you think about that, this couple, Jenny and Josh, they, expend, they explained they didn't need money. For them, it was as simple as just showing up. So more than money, I, I believe that time is our most precious commodity. It's the most important resource that we possess. And it's possible to gain more money. It's at least possible, right? But we can't gain more time. I often like to consider the preparation of a sermon. It's it's one thing if you know the topic in advance. It doesn't always make it easier to prepare. It doesn't, doesn't make it easier to, to narrow in. And so... Uh, as I was preparing and, and you know, dialoguing with different people on staff and, and other friends, I was sharing kind of where I was going and I woke up Thursday morning and I opened the Bible app and I'm, I'm usually in a plan. And so I started my Proverbs plan and I'm like, I, I read that and I was like, this is, this is on track with what I think where God's leading me in this message. And then I, I started a Lent reading that reading was exactly where we needed to be too, and I was like, okay, okay, this is good. I opened up my email, and then there was a, a, a blog that I get uh, via email. There's only one that I get, it's Seth Godin, and his was on, on point two, so I just felt like, okay, this is this is perfect, so Thursday was the day where it went from kind of the research and, and, and getting everything together to like, okay, yeah, that kind of confirmed like th- like three right in a row, so I woke up like, let's do this. Didn't make it any easier, but at least I knew what I, what I was doing. So I wanted to read this very short, that I got in my inbox. It's from Seth Godin, and it says, time and money, and in quotations, I can't afford it, or I don't have time, almost always means this is not a priority. When we care, it's amazing how much we can get done. One way to choose to care is to be clear about your priorities, which means being clear in your language. And so we can say to ourselves, I'd love to do that, but it's not a priority. Remarkable work is usually accomplished by people who have non-typical priorities. That was a huge challenge for me as I was thinking uh, because it really did line up with the the proverb I was reading and and then considering uh, the spend yourself and and considering it as more of an investment and, and where our priorities are. And so that's tough because we've already been discussing this. It didn't make it easier. But in the several discussions that I had last week, time was the, the hardest thing, I think, for many people. Is, and the awkwardness of giving your time and not knowing how it's going to be received. So we're gonna read uh, from Isaiah again, but I'd like to read from the English Standard Version, starting at verse 10. It says, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then, Shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your desire in scorched places. And make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden. Like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. Notice we added verse 11 there. So verse 10 is really our part. Verse 11 is God's. I was reading the message as well. I actually started with these verses earlier in the week and I kind of jotted down different versions, translations, paraphrases. I love to read uh, from different ones. Sometimes maybe I'll miss something or maybe I won't understand a term or something like that. And what I loved is the title that was above the message portion of it from Eugene Peterson is A Full Life in the Emptiest of Places, which I thought was really good. I thought that was really helpful to to kind of bring a connection to it, kind of a theme for this. And here's what I want us to realize today is that there's an important connection between pouring out and filling up. Between filling up and pouring out. In order to pour something, it first needs to be filled up. So we fill it up. Anyone thirsty? We fill it up first. I think we have more potential input than ever before. This right now, for some of you, is is input. For some of you, you might have your Bible open, you might have been making notes already, This is a time maybe to to gain understanding. Hopefully, God is speaking, not only me. And so this is a a point of input. But you know, on the way home, you could be listening to a podcast, and you could have some more input. And you could watch a show later and have more input. You could be reading a book and have more input. I think more than ever, we have more opportunities for content to come in. And and even here in the church, we get filled up on the weekend. We can be filled throughout the week in our devotions, in our our prayer time, uh, hopefully in small groups. But the problem is sometimes people fill up, but they don't often pour themselves out. This made me think of, of, of something really, really simple, but uh, I remember when I was in Bible college, one of my professors, he was talking about the Dead Sea. I've never been there, but has anyone been to Israel? Has anyone been to the, okay, okay. Have, did you float there? Okay, that's a, pretty much all it's good for though, right? Um, So the idea of the Dead Sea, if you hadn't already known, is that it's mineral-rich. There's plenty of good stuff that come into it, but because, uh, just just to kind of simplify it, think of of salt water. Think how much easier it is to float in, in, in the ocean rather than just your swimming pool, unless it's salt water. But in the Dead Sea, yes, all of this comes in, but it just stays there and nothing can live because... It's too much, and there's no outlet. There's no way for it to pour out. So that made me, made me think of, of this connection. Yes, we need to be filled up, but if we don't pour out, there's no life. And so you get filled up, and then you pour yourself out. And an important thing to note on that, I would say that you need to pour yourself out out but it might not be that you fill someone else up that's not necessarily up to you but your your job is to pour yourself out we need to do that we're going to go back for a moment to luke 7 and as i was reading in luke 7 this this is kind of interesting there are a few accounts there are a few parables there are a few stories that are in matthew mark luke and john and this is one of them and i think that's really cool but they're a little bit different. So there's some similarities between Matthew and Mark, just thinking in, in order there. There's, there's a lot of similarities there. Luke's account that we just read, a little bit different, and there's an extra included parable that we'll see in just a moment, but it's a little different. And then in John, John's often the different one, right? Of course he is. And John, John doesn't mention Simon, but he, he does name the woman and, and says it's, it's Mary who anointed Jesus. And just a thought on different accounts, because this has been a struggle for me. Uh, not, not discouraging, but I've often wondered, when you see the discrepancies, is that a problem? Do you ever wonder that? How come they're not all, wouldn't it be easy if they were just all copy and paste? Well, I've heard this a few different ways. I heard one person give the example of, imagine there's an accident, and then the police come and ask different eyewitnesses to give an account. It's not that they're trying to say something that's a lie or say something that's not true. The accident, let's say, happened, but they might have seen something from a different perspective. But I heard something else this week that was interesting, and I I hope this is helpful too. Consider for a moment a birth certificate. Okay, just picture that. Um, This might be maybe too simple, so forgive me, but a birth certificate every now and then could have a spelling mistake. Has anyone ever had to change theirs because it's like, I thought I was named this and it was, no, no one? Maybe, maybe not as often as, as I just said, but every now and then there could be an error on that, but it doesn't change the event that happened. Uh, the birth still took place, there just might've been an error in, in a document or something like that. And so when I was thinking about that is that the birth certificate, it documents your birth, but it's not the cause. It's not what makes it true, right? And in in this case, I don't think it's a problem. If anything, I think it's interesting. And for a moment, it took me on a few rabbit trails to try to see if I could find out a little bit more about this. But I thought it was really interesting that they are a little bit different, but they're all about the anointing, and there's this similarity between them. In the first section we opened with, there's three characters. There's the Pharisee, there's Jesus, and a certain immoral woman. And in the next section that we're about to read, as we're still in Luke, there's this parable that, that Jesus adds afterward. There's the lender, there's the person with a debt of 500, and then there's the person of a debt of 50. And so we're gonna continue. We're gonna read, uh, starting at verse 41. We're still in Luke seven. Then Jesus told him a story. A man loaned two people, loaned money, excuse me, to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. What do you suppose, sorry, who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he looked to the woman and said to Simon, did you catch that? He's looking at the woman, but he's still talking to Simon. Look at this woman kneeling here. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. They both had debts. Not just one of them, right? They both had debts. The lender, Jesus, he canceled both of their debts. And in verse 22, it's, it's reminding us, neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Uh, just a quick word of, of testimony from me. I'm, I'm thinking about this. I, I love dates, and I, and I often remember things based on, on a date. And pretty soon, as in this summer, it'll be 20 years since I became a Christian, since I started following Jesus, since I uh, was first called into ministry. And I'll tell you, since that time, because I've gone to college and things like that, and I've made mistakes financially speaking, I've, I've paid off student loans, and I've paid off uh, other types of debt and things like that. But there is nothing like the feeling of being freed from your sins. There's nothing like knowing that your debt has been canceled. And we're talking about finances in this passage, but it's way, way bigger than that. It's way bigger than that. And there's still nothing like it. And uh, that's, that's the shortest testimony you'll ever hear from me. Um, <laughs> moving right along, we're gonna look at those characters that we mentioned. We're gonna look at Jesus, we're gonna look at the Pharisee, and we're going to look at the woman. And first, Jesus in this, he shows kindness. I think that's an interesting word choice. But he shows kindness here. Definitely there's mercy. He shows mercy. And forgiveness. He forgives. And in this story, think about the context of this. He's anointed to go and cancel all debts. Not just for these two. He's, he's getting ready to cancel all of them. The payment is his life. It's not just wiping it clean. like It's not just changing a piece of paper that said, what. what. no, he's, he's getting ready to do this. And we're currently in this season of Lent. And you know what that is, it's it's approaching a reminder of the triumphant entry, of the Last Supper, of the betrayal, of the arrest, of the trial, of the flogging, of the crucifixion, of the burial, of that quiet Sabbath during Passover, and most importantly, the empty tomb because of the resurrection of Jesus. This is what we're remembering in this season, and, and approaching that as we get ready to celebrate together. And this anointing, in this story, precedes all of those things that we're remembering. Sometimes you might neglect it because you think it's about something else. It is about the anointing of Jesus. It's just there's so much more that's in there, and that's, that's what we need help to understand here. What's really cool about this is that Jesus did want us to remember this moment, and in Matthew and Mark's account, Jesus said whenever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Isn't that interesting? Did you notice that before? So we're doing that now, just P.S. Maybe this is a good reminder for all of us that our deeds will be remembered, not our intentions. That's tough, isn't it? Let's look at the Pharisee. Other accounts mentioned he was healed of leprosy. So assuming that it's the same person, can we do that for a moment? Is that okay? Are we allowed to do that? Does he forget looking for healing ointment? So speaking of this perfume, this ointment that's used to anoint Jesus, does he forget what he was seeking before Jesus healed him? Does he forget how Jesus healed him? If you think of an example, if it is the same person, and maybe it's not, I'm sure there are many, but of course I'm willing, be healed. Do you remember that? He doesn't. He's self-righteous, And he's judging this woman. But have we ever done this? Have we ever been him? A preacher once said, if the sin of others doesn't break your heart, it's probably because your heart has never been broken by your own sin. The woman, we're going to spend a little bit of time here. Did you notice how much the woman's perfume was worth as you were reading through? Anyone? It was worth quite a bit. Judas noticed in in John, in chapter 12, it was worth about a year's wages. So a little bit, a little bit of money. And he agreed to betray Jesus for a tenth of that. Isn't that interesting? It's not just about the perfume or the cost, though. I I don't think it ends there. I don't think it's just about that. But she poured herself out. And in verse 38... It says, she knelt behind him. So keep in mind, this isn't a table. I know there, there's some pictures of, of like the Lord's, like the, the Last Supper, where it looks like they're, they're in, in seats like this. No, they weren't. Sorry. Sorry about that. They were reclined. And you can see this in the note. I'm not making this up. And so, you know, they'd lay on their side, and so their feet would be out behind them, and they'd be leaning towards the table. Can you picture that? So when she comes up, she's not even actually near the table, but she is at his feet. Does that make sense? Can you picture it? So she's there pouring herself out. She's weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. She kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Isn't that interesting? And uh, a, fir- a friend reminded me of this today, as, or this week as well, from, from John. It accounts for this, uh, this house was filled with the fragrance, fragrance of this perfume. But I was wondering about this so we thought about you know Simon was he the leper maybe Uh, in this case was she already forgiven was this Mary as mentioned in John or could it have been the woman from John chapter 8 do you remember when Jesus stooped in the in the sand what was it her I don't know could have been Either way, Jesus didn't just say she was forgiven. He didn't just say, go and sin no more. No, Jesus went to the cross for her. So she anointed him, but he went to the cross for her. Much love is, is a, a phrase that, that comes up a little bit in here. And, and for the other person, uh, little love. I found, I found that interesting. She was much love because she was she was forgiven much. And so this was an act of faith, but she, she's not just demonstrating this love to be forgiven. I think this love that she displayed was because she was forgiven. I love this quote from Bob Goff. There's a book that he has out called Everybody Always, and it says, we don't need to be who we used to be. God sees who we're becoming, and we're becoming love Imagine this woman, imagine the empathy that she can now extend to others. And did you hear the line in the opening video about our purpose coming from our pain? That's often the case, and I bet that she used that. Seeking love could have been the cause of her pain. But now, love has become her greatest purpose. So when we're thinking about how to neighbor... I love that the question of 12 Neighbors isn't just how to be a neighbor or how to be a good neighbor. It's actually, think about this word, it's how to love my neighbor, right? Love is the key ingredient. And um, it wasn't shown in in this video, but uh, episode 2A that we started with last week in in our our 12 Neighbors Night and also with our small groups and stuff this week, there's Sarah and she's from Fredericton and it's kind of cool to see something awesome going on in our own city, this is what she said about loving your neighbor. She said that loving your neighbor would be just the unconscious drive to help no matter what, putting someone else above yourself, someone that you might not even really know. Isn't that good? Um, I mentioned I I love looking at at different translations, different uh, versions as I'm I'm studying. I think it's good for us when we're doing our devotions too because sometimes you can overlook something if, if, if it just looks so similar. And when I was reading this next passage, this was something that, that we had an opportunity to look at in our discussion guides this week. It's 1 Corinthians 13.3. But from the message, Paul says, if I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I'm bankrupt, without love. I'm bankrupt without love, Paul said. Notice he didn't say I'm bankrupt because of love. You know, sometimes we think that when we spend, we don't have any more. Not the case here. There's something about spending our love that fills up our emotional bank account rather than depleting it. Have you ever asked someone for directions? A couple weeks ago, I was walking downtown. I wasn't in a huge rush And so when someone stopped and said, I I can't, I could tell that there was someone coming towards me, and I I could tell, they're like, where do I find such and such a place? And I was able to see, oh, I knew it was the next block. I knew exactly how to get the person there. When I gave them the the directions, a a really wonderful thing happened. I still had them. (laughs) I still knew how to get to that place. I gave them directions. They were able to go and use that, and I didn't lose them. Isn't that fantastic? You could love someone and still have more to give. Sometimes you need to hear just something dumb from me to to like grasp it, you know what I mean? You know, speaking of 1 Corinthians 13, how many people had it at their wedding? You don't have to raise your hand. Most people think that this is is kind of like set out like Paul was like, you know what, there's a lot of people that are gonna get married in the future. I need to give them something really good, <laughs> right? But as we, as we look at the next few verses, I don't want you to think of just the wedding ceremony. You can be reminded, you can be reminded, but I want you to think about it in how it means to love our neighbor, not just our, our spouse or someone that we already like, maybe the stranger that Sarah mentioned from episode 2A. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. You know, this sort of love isn't easy. Of course it's not. And he had to remind people of that, and we're still being reminded of it. It takes work, and it requires something that I think we could call emotional labor. I think we're all familiar with physical labor, right? Physical labor is, is the kind that leaves you with a sore back, hands, and feet, right? That's what physical labor is. Your, your muscles are sore at the end of the day because of physical labor. But emotional labor, that's different. It demands more of our heart, more of our head and our face, if you think about it, we often have to use a lot of facial muscles. If you're listening, to, if you're showing empathy to someone, your face, I hope your face is attached to that, right? And, you know, I thought about this. When you start going to the gym or something, in a physical level, uh, you know, or running or whatever, you tend to feel extra tired after the exercise at first but eventually there's this tipping point, a breakthrough where you start to feel more energized, or so I hear. Um, <laughs> it, can be like, it can be like this with emotional labor, and just one example of that, there are times, maybe some of you have been here, there are times when it, it takes effort to put on a smile. You ever been there? But there's, there's something fantastic with like neuroscience and things like this and the endorphins that come. Did you know sometimes you have to do an action before you can feel a thing. You don't just feel a thing and then you do the act. You know, sometimes it's, it's, it's the opposite of what you'd expect. Something about simply smiling or ah, forcing yourself to causes endorphins to hit and, and other, other things that I can't pronounce, but it makes us feel better, which makes it even easier to smile. And I think Jesus is a great example of someone who spent emotional labor. He did this with compassion and love. I think about the times when... Jesus just needed to get away. He needed solitude and rest, time to pray and be with the Father. And even times when he was hurting, I think of an example when John the Baptist, he, he found out he was killed and, and they were actually related too. It was the person, not only that baptized him, but there, there was a relation beyond that. When he found out, he wanted to get away and he probably needed someone to show compassion to him. But what was interesting here that even on his way towards solitude and and, and trying to retreat for a moment just to refill, he would stop and have compassion on people. Not just think about it, not just like, well, I should. No, he would do it. And I, I love that. What a huge reminder. That's his default, love and compassion. And it's about pouring ourselves out. It's about being filled up too, yes. But when we've poured ourselves out, I think that we get filled back up. I don't think it's just about content. I think there's something that Marcel was was getting at. I think there's something that that God was teaching him that we need to be reminded again today about this. And we pour ourselves out. God fills us up. And I want to be reminded of that Isaiah scripture, Isaiah 58, again, in the English Standard Version. It says, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, Then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your desire in the scorched places, and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. So, how do we apply this? Many of you have an idea because you've been in the, the 12 Neighbors Nights already, and everyone else, you're, you're invited tomorrow night. We'll put out more tables if we need to. If you're not in a small group, this is a great small group model that you can, you can test out with us. I think, though, when we consider the action, like what do we do next, I think it can feel really big. And if you think about our city, because often when we think about something along this line, we start thinking, to the biggest level, like Fredericton's around 58,000 people. That's a little big, right? And I thought about this all week, and someone emailed me sharing this story of a newcomer to Canada saying that Canadians are friendly. That's true of us, right? Canadians are friendly, but they aren't looking for more friends. Fredericton can be sort of like that. Church can be sort of like that. Crosspoint doesn't need, we do, we don't just need more friendly crosspointers. I think we need more crosspointers to become friends. And this is one of the reasons we're encouraging small groups in this season and the 12 Neighbors Nights and these opportunities to get together more than just friendly friends what if beyond our learning together and these and discussing and all that, what if we started this process small by, by loving here? What if it starts here and it starts small? So our application is this, and, and you heard it in the video, stop for the one. Make it about that one. Ask for their name, ask for their story. Some people don't get it unless we ask. And did you hear these other lines in that opening video? Anybody has the opportunity to give people a voice again. It's as simple as just showing up. Not my words, they they said that and they actually did it. Ask, what need can I meet today? What need can I meet tomorrow? I think those of us in here listening to this, learning this together, I think we need to, to spend that emotional labor. So let's pour ourselves out for others and be filled up and pour ourselves out again.